from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. On today's podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into what it really means to love your neighbor as yourself. The idea that loving others is one of the most important commandments in the Bible is something that both Christians and Jews agree upon. But what isn't as clear is how to fulfill it. Today, we're going to explore this biblical directive, and I'm going to share two critical insights into how we can fulfill God's will and make this world a much more loving place for us all. Every week, Jews around the world read and study the same Torah portion known as the Parsha. This week's Parsha is called Kedoshim, which means holy, and it covers chapters 19 and 20 in the book of Leviticus. The Parsha begins with a commandment from God. He says, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. What follows in the next two chapters of Leviticus are dozens of directives that tell the Israelites how to live a life of holiness. These laws include laws about charity, ethics, and morality. The verse that I want to focus on today appears in the middle of these directives, and it is one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. Leviticus 19.18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This directive tells us that we shouldn't hold grudges or take revenge on anyone. And it also tells us to love others as we love ourselves. This phrase, love your neighbor as you love yourself, is considered a fundamental idea in Judaism. Rabbi Akiva, one of the greatest sages who lived in the first century, famously declared it to be the main principle of the Torah. Zehaklal gadol betorah, as he said in Hebrew. And Hillel the Elder, who lived in the first century BCE, said that this principle captures the entire Torah and everything else is commentary on it. This idea is mentioned in the Christian Bible as well. And Jesus declared that this principle is the most important commandment, second only to the commandment to love God. And in Galatians 5.14, Paul says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. For Christians and Jews, it's clear that loving others is one of the most important things that God calls us to do. But what isn't as clear is how exactly to do it. Can God really command us to have an emotion? Are we able to love on demand? Even if we could, is it possible to really love other people as much as we love ourselves? And how can we force ourselves to love someone we may not even like or someone we don't even know? We use the word love in so many different ways. We say, I love my mother. And we also say, I love chocolate. We say, I love God. And we also say, I love this sweater. But do we really feel the same way about chocolate 
as we do about God? And what does it really mean to love? There's a story told about a rabbi who wanted to teach his students about love and what it really means. That particular day, the school was serving fish for lunch. The rabbi went over to students who were sitting at their table enjoying their food, and he asked them a question. He said, do you love the fish? And one boy immediately answered, yes, I love it. But the rabbi said back to him, no, you don't. If you really loved the fish, you wouldn't be eating it. You love yourself, not the fish. What was the rabbi's point? That love isn't determined by our feelings as much as it is determined by our actions. And this is extremely important when it comes to fulfilling God's directive to love. Because we can't always control our feelings, but we can always choose our actions. And that means that we can always choose love. The world that we live in feeds us a false idea about what love really is. Growing up in America, my concept of love was a very romantic one. I watched Disney movies and television shows where couples fell in love and they just lived happily ever after. Without even noticing it, I began to believe that what I saw on the screen was true in real life. As a young girl, I believed that love meant feeling like you are on cloud nine all of the time for your entire life. And the truth is that when I met my husband, Amichai, that is how it felt. We dated for three years and the entire time we felt like we were walking on sunshine. But I'll never forget the advice that someone gave me shortly after we got engaged. She said, the most important thing to know is that love is not an emotion. It's a decision. Make sure that you decide to love your husband and your wife even at times when you don't feel it. I couldn't ever imagine not feeling love for my husband, but I sensed that this woman knew what she was talking about. Essentially, she was saying that real love is not dependent on a feeling that changes all the time, but rather real love is something that I could choose no matter how I felt. Romantic love has us floating in the air, but real love keeps our feet on the ground. Romantic love is fleeting, but real love is consistent. Romantic love happens by chance, but real love is a choice. When God asks us to love our neighbor, he isn't commanding us to have a feeling, although I do believe that feeling love for all people is something that we should aspire for. Ultimately, what God wants from us is that we treat others in a way that's caring, loving, and kind, even when we don't feel like it. Love is a decision that is manifest in our actions, in how we treat others. I once heard it put this way, love is a verb. It's not something that we feel or have. It's something that we do. This idea is hinted at in God's holy language, the Hebrew word for love. The Hebrew word for love is ahava. And the rabbis pointed out that the root of that word, hav, means giving. This teaches us that love is rooted in giving. Giving is literally at the center of love. I'll say that word again. Try to say it with me. Ahava. Try to say that. Ahava. Can you hear the word 
have at the center of the word, ahava. It's at its core. Love isn't a feeling. It's the act of giving to others. But there's something else that we learn from the word ahava. Not only is love rooted in giving, but giving is the root of love. You see, the more we give, the more we love. Most people think it works the opposite way, that the more we love someone, the more we will give to them. But the rabbis explain that it works the other way around. The more we give to someone, the more we come to love them. The more we experience the feeling of love. This is why a parent's love for their child is usually greater than a child's love for their parent. A parent gives so much to their child from the moment that they're born. And that giving expands and deepens that love in a way that the child will just never understand until they have their own children. So while love is not based on a feeling, it's based on our actions, feelings are the end result. You see, the more we give love, the more we feel love. I want to tell you how this showed up for me in my own life recently. The war in Ukraine led many charitable organizations to focus on the needs of the people there, which is amazing. But the fellowship has been helping in Ukraine for decades. So when the war broke out, for us, it was deeply personal. All I could think about was the elderly Holocaust survivors who I've visited every winter for years and the other vulnerable Jews we help there, including orphans. So when it became clear that one of the fellowship-supported orphanages was in danger very early on in the war, for me, it was personal. These weren't just any children. These were our children, children we have helped for years, some of them their entire lives. In fact, one of the orphans in that orphanage was named after my father, Rabbi Yechiel Eckstein of Blessed Memory. The fellowship immediately mobilized to help our children. And praise God, we were able to rescue a hundred orphans and bring them to Israel. I have to tell you that I followed that rescue mission with bated breath, as if those children were my own. When I heard that they made it out of Ukraine after many, many, many hours of traveling, over 15 hours and lots of different risks along the way, I cried tears of joy. And when they landed in Israel, I was there waiting on the tarmac to meet them, to hug them and to celebrate the fact that they were safe. Those sweet orphans are easy to love. But the fact that I had been giving to those kids for years through my work at the fellowship made me love them even more. I felt connected to them. I felt invested in them. And the more love I felt for those children, the more I wanted to give to them, to shower them with more love. When God commands us to love others, what he wants is for us to give to others. And the beautiful thing is that the more we give love, the more we feel love. And the more we feel love, the more we want to give love. It's a beautiful cycle that all begins with giving. Love your neighbor is something that we can always do. Even when we don't feel love, we can give love. And the end result is that we come to feel the love too. 
Now, I want to turn our attention to the end of the commandment. God says, love your neighbor as yourself. Why wasn't it enough for God to say, love your neighbor? Why did he need to add the part as yourself? On the simplest level, these words teach us the basic principle known as the golden rule. We should treat others the way that we would want to be treated, and we shouldn't do to others what we wouldn't want done to us. But there's really another way of understanding this phrase. As yourself also tells us that our personal life experiences are an important part of how we fulfill God's commandment to love others. I'll explain what I mean. A few months ago in January, during the coldest days of winter, I went to Jerusalem for two days of meetings. I live a few hours north of Jerusalem, so when I have full days like that, I usually sleep over in the city. After a long first day, I went to stay where I usually stay in Jerusalem, at the guest house of a good friend of mine. It's comfortable, it's quiet, and it's really the perfect place to rest overnight. But on that night, the heat was broken. I tried to fix the heater, and when that didn't work, I tried to ignore the cold and to focus on the work I still needed to get done that night. But after a few hours, my fingers and my toes were completely numb, and I knew that it would be impossible to sleep. The homes in Jerusalem are made out of stone. So when the homes are cold, they're really cold. It's down to your bone cold. It's the kind of cold that makes you feel like you are freezing from the inside out. It freezes you to the core. And all I could think about, aside from being frozen myself, were all the elderly in Jerusalem who have no heat. I'm young, I'm strong, and I could barely function in the cold. My fingers were stinging, and it was painful to think about how an elderly person would feel in such debilitating cold. So I made two decisions that night. The first was to go find a warmer place to stay, which thank God I did. And the second was to cancel all of my meetings for the next day and instead spend the day delivering heaters and blankets instead. The fellowship was ready providing heat to the most vulnerable elderly in Jerusalem. But that night, after my own personal experience, I realized that wasn't enough. I asked our partners who work in the welfare system to identify individuals who were not already on our list of recipients, but were in serious need of heat. And the next day, I went from door to door delivering heaters and blankets. I actually recorded two of these deliveries live on social media, and I'm going to link those posts in the show notes. The look of relief and gratitude from the women who I brought these heaters to warmed my own heart. It was clear to me that God put me in a position where I experienced the bitter cold so that I would provide warmth to others who were freezing, just as I did for myself. There are no coincidences in life. And when God puts us in an uncomfortable situation, it might just be so that we become more sensitive to the needs of others, that we learn from our personal experiences and help others who are experiencing that very same difficulty. I always considered myself a sensitive person. I've dedicated my life to helping others, to feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for the needy. But it took freezing that night in Jerusalem, to take my sensitivity to a higher level, one that spurred me into action and brought warmth to even more people in need. My experience reminded me of something similar that happened to a friend of mine. 
My friend only eats kosher food, and one time, due to the circumstances beyond his control, he found himself on a long international flight without any kosher food to eat. He had some snacks to eat, but overall he felt very hungry. And that made him think about all of the children who go hungry every day. As a result of not having kosher food on this flight and feeling those pangs of hunger, one of the first things he did when he got back home was make a donation to a charity that provides hot meals at school for children who can't afford them. There are no accidents in life. And when we have uncomfortable experiences, we shouldn't ignore them. They should make us more sensitive and more generous towards others. We need to learn from our challenging and painful experiences about how to treat others. Not only the experiences that catch us by surprise, but also our experiences in the past. Our experiences are a rich source of information and inspiration about how to love our neighbor. For example, when my husband and I moved into our home in Israel, we felt very isolated and alone. We moved into a very established community of mostly native Israelis who had known each other for a very long time. We were the outsiders, the Americans who hadn't been in Israel very long, with a very different language, a different culture, and no friends. And on top of that, our Israeli neighbors had no idea what it felt like to make aliyah, to leave behind friends, family, and everything familiar and to move to a new place, to Israel. They simply didn't understand how lonely we were and how much we needed to be supported and embraced. Adapting to our new environment wasn't easy, but we did it. And with time, we made friends with our neighbors, some of who became like family. We love our community now, over 17 years later, and we're so grateful to live with such wonderful people. But we never forgot. We never forgot the difficulty of those first few months in our new home, and we learned from that experience. In the last few years, a lot of olim, new immigrants to Israel, have chosen to make their home in our community. And because we went through that transition ourselves, we know how hard it can be. We make it a point to reach out to new immigrants, to embrace them, to support them, to be there for them. I know what they need. And because of that, I'm committed to loving them, which means giving to them the same support that I wanted. To me, this literally is loving your neighbor as yourself. I treat my neighbors, my community members, new people around me as I would want to be treated. I give to them and I build a relationship with them that's based on love. And you know what I have in return then? An amazing friendship that we both want to give to each other. We all go through difficult circumstances and experiences in life. Do you know what it's like to be short on money? Have you ever gone hungry or had a hard time paying for the needs of your children? Or do you know what it's like to be lonely? Did you go through a time when you didn't have family or friends around? Maybe you remember what it was like to be a new parent, to be completely exhausted or in need of support. Our experiences are not meant to stay in the past, and they aren't meant to cast a shadow over the present. Instead, we need to use our past difficulties to create a world of love. Which brings me back to where we started. 
Is it really possible to love others as much as we love ourselves? Can we love on demand? Can we love someone that we barely know? Probably not, at least not right away. But we can always choose to give love, to treat others the way that we want to be treated. And when we do that, the feelings of love will follow. The way to create a world full of love is to give lovingly to others. The more we give, the more we will love and the more love that we will receive in return. Proverbs eleven seventeen reads, those who are kind benefit themselves. When we give love, we make the world a more loving place that we all benefit from. This week, let's love our neighbor by acting kindly to others, the way that we would want to be treated ourselves. Can you think of a time that someone was kind to you and made a big difference in your life? How might you do the same for someone else? Or maybe you know someone experiencing a difficulty that you once experienced. How can you use your experience to help someone going through that very same thing? Loving others is a foundational principle of our faith, and it's something we can always do. We can always choose to give to others, to love others, and to make the world a more loving place for us all. Shavuot Tov, my friends. Have a wonderful week from here in the Holy Land. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at Yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.